friends, welcome back to another episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always, this is a hard one, I don't know what to call you, there's so many grotesqueries, uh, by my friend who's not a jack, <laughs> uh, Alex Dandino. Okay, guys, this is a special, kind of a now playing. This just came to Amazon uh, as a rental. So we hopped all over it. Uh, today we're covering, covering the controversial, grotesque, vile, artsy, mind-bending, I don't know, all those kind of like buzzword adjectives that uh, are on movie posters. Wait, wait, don't forget, uh, don't forget to say the director, renegade, visionary renegade filmmaker. <laughs> all right this is lars von trier's the house that jack built where to begin no okay yeah. so i'm a i'll start here i am a huge lars von trier fan i've always loved all of his work uh i've watched most of his movies multiple times which can be hard yeah that's impressive i just dig it man i, I dig i dig the way this guy's brain works i dig his style i like the way he presents movies it's i think a lot of times they're they're very non-American in presentation, obviously. Yes. So there, there's a <laughs> lot that will put off some viewers, right? Like right. Lars von Trier movies are often um, exercises in just kind of solo, introspective, thoughtful viewings. I for think me, the right? word you're looking no for. No one is, I know wants to watch those with me. I think the word you're looking for is masturbation. Strange, you couldn't find it as quickly as the rest of us could. But I, yeah. I don't want to link this movie and masturbation as like parts of my bio. So <laughs> <laughs> let's get far, far from that. Yes, uh, masturbation yeah. should not be a keyword we put up for this one. Right. <laughs> so, this this movie is almost a Frankenstein's creation of all things I love about movies. And then when it comes to life, I'm also a little repulsed by it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that's the best summation of my experience with this movie. Alex. Yeah. What are your uh, initial thoughts to kick this thing off here? I mean, I'm not... I like Lars von Trier. I've gone and seen his movies in the theater. Like, these are experiences I'm totally down to have. I was not really excited to see this movie. Like, mainly because, like, the subject matter to me is very interesting. Like, I'm, you know, I'm like any other fucking creep out there. I like my I like my murder pods, and I like, you know, I like serial killer shit. It's cool, because it's interesting. It's a side of psychology that... A, we're not particularly understanding of, but also it's just something interesting that you're not used to seeing. So when I heard that Lars von Trier was doing a serial killer movie, I was like, oh, that's cool. And then when I heard people yeah. like walking out at Cannes, I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. I mean, they fucking hate him there anyways. I don't know why they're even like watching his movies. But this movie is it's, – it's interesting because it is like all these – actually, in my opinion, super palatable American cinema things used in a movie that is dedicated to like alienating its audience. It's very interesting. Like, Well, it's, it's the weird thing, right? Because like you're saying, it's – there are big chunks of the movie, broad swaths of the movie that play right into this true crime thing we like. A lot of this is Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. It's just yeah. kind of hyper-realistic – experience with a serial killer at times yeah but then every time you start to get into that mode there are these extra art house motifs or 
intentionally injected moments of surrealism, right? Right. A lot of it coming from unreliable narration, things like this. There's always something. It's it's an odd blend of because I think this is the thing too. The whole cans thing and people running out of the theater. I never know what to make of that. A lot of that seems personal and political. Yeah. I watch this movie and it's there is a a vulgarity to it that is undeniable, right? Of like course. even me who watches all the grossest things and I'm like you, we're all part of this kind of crime and murder porn industry that exists, right? We all love seeing what happens when one of us breaks the social contract. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And and there's something about this one that one of the things I like is it and I get why this repulses some people, but I, I like the unsafe and scared feeling of, oh, my God, it feels like we are just trapped in a room about to be murdered by a killer. There's a lot of those. And this is why I said, like, I would never watch this with my wife having seen it now. Right. There's a lot of these just women trapped in obvious peril scenarios yeah. that she would not sit through. Well, I told my wife would have walked the fuck out of the room. Um, second incident for sure. Oh, yeah. No. Maybe not the first because it's kind of a little on the nose. But second incident, she's gone. But so I, I don't know. There are a lot of those things I liked. And then there's obviously this kind of autobiographical, like, does he have a meat locker full of film critics somewhere? <laughs> like he's, <laughs> is this a retaliation of sorts? Um, yeah. What did you think about the mix of realism and surrealism? I mean, it's what he does best. Like, it's the kind of movie that he is really good at making. And that's the kind of thing that right. I think we all go to the theater to be shocked by. Like, again, like, I agree. The can thing and all that shit is usually politically motivated. Like, the thing that got him booted in the first place was that shit where he was like, oh, I sympathize with Hitler. Also, I made Melancholia. And you're like, they're like yeah. oh, no, fuck this guy. And you're like, all right. Like, he's a fucking. He, he definitely seems to have, like, a, a streak of always wanting everyone to be repulsed by yeah, him. <laughs> he's a provocateur. Like that's like the whole point, yes. especially if you look at the oeuvre of his films, like there's no way that guy is not like, that's like not the point of him making movies. A lot of the time. Here's, here's another thing I like in case you haven't seen the oeuvre of his work. He inserts a montage yeah, of it. In but, this by the way, that I, I wrote that in I like all that caps in my notes. Stops. I wrote, yeah. did he just reference his own movies in his own he movie? hard stops? The serial killers like moment of profound realization. To be like, oh yes, this is about how critics don't respect yeah. my work. He literally, like, yeah, it's like this. It's this. It's it's. <laughs> I fucking died laughing. I was watching. I'm like, get the. I rewound it. I'm like, get the fuck out of here, because I was watching a clip and then I saw that clip of Udo Kier coming out of the vagina. I was like, wait, hang on, and I rewinded it. And I know. I'm like, I was like, is that oh my god, movie? these are his fucking movies. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I, I also. <laughs> I. He. This is something he does. I was telling you this. This his movies sometimes are very dense. It reminds yeah. me of a visual novel at times, right? Sure. So there are things in this movie that I fucking love that I know bothered the shit out of you, like the the street lamp. I think that is just such an an interesting piece of the movie because to me, if I was reading that in a novel, I'd be really fascinated. I like the wind of the meadow, sure, or the breath of the meadow, right? Shit like that, where it's like Lars von Trier has researched something. And now he's taking this extraordinary long time to explain it is this kind of long shot symbolism. Right. And I like that the movie, his movies have a lot of that, right? Nymphomaniac had a ton of that. Yeah. All of his movies do. But I, I like that in this one, he's like, hey, in case those really far off symbolisms don't work, me, me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's, the, yeah, that's like probably, that's probably the thing that made me, because 
I saw that because that happens much earlier in the movie before he references his own work. And then once that happened, it's funny because I was like, wait a second. I actually appreciate that demo much more than I appreciate. Remember those other flicks I made? Check out this montage of the creepiest parts real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Like. He's like, hey, in case I get, in case I don't lose my agent, here's my reel built into my last project. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. This movie, has, this movie at its core is really just a resume builder. Like that's that's all it is. Yeah, it's like no, the, it's mean, the film equivalent is- of Clippy from uh, Microsoft Office. <laughs> I, it, it's a it's a strange film, and this is something I I say religiously on this show. Anytime I'll have a memorable, unique experience with a movie. I was thinking about this the other day because we were watching. We watch a lot of movies for this show to get ready in, right? So this upcoming month we're doing uh, The Pod Fears the Net. It's kind of like, you know, fear of virtual reality and what people thought the internet would be. I had seen all those movies, right? And then then re-watching, they were like, I don't remember a fucking thing about any of these movies. (laughs) The amount of things you forget about movies you watch is insane to me. For how many I've seen, this is one of those movies I feel like I'll always remember probably about half of the scenes vividly. Oh, yeah. And so to me, that's that's an interesting experience. And there's another thing we do, right, in shows like this and with our friends at bars. When you're discussing movies, there's this – it's kind of like politics, right? It's blood sport. Right. Half of the fun of it is I liked this and you hated it. Let's try to prove each other wrong. Even though you can't, it's all subjective. And I kind of hate people that are like, don't do that to movies. You're like – that's the built-in value of movies. Yeah, it's like the whole is point. to talk shit about and ha- yeah, like that this week Paul Thomas Anderson like don't ever be mean to movies. It's like that's part of their allure, right? That's part of the game. Right. This is one of those though. If someone came to me with like I I hate the the kind of torture pornography element of it, uh the repulsive, disgusting, too real violence, the kind of endangerment of in the I, there's just there's so many things right yeah. like he's he's this masochist and he fucking obviously is a sexist in a way like a lot of it comes off very repugnant sure and so i i don't push back on anyone who hates this movie or has those kind of criticisms i see them all it's yeah. it's an uncomfortable viewing i think i think you'd have to be a jack style fucking psycho to not understand why this is so repulsive to people yeah that said, I just really liked this movie. You know, uh, yeah. I, I like it for the, the art that it that it represents in totality, right? Right. Warts and all. Yeah, I think that it's it's funny. Um uh so last I um I was just like watching the end again for some notes last night and I um Instagram I always try and like we're trying to be more engaging on social media, so I started I Instagrammed a screenshot of like one of the final shots in the movie, which is this like very Lars von Trieri mosaic. Um, it's sort of like the way he did Melancholia. But I tweeted uh, photos like the things I do for Griff, you know. And Ren, <laughs> our friend Ren, who uh, one of our pals from um, the Longbox Sessions, but he runs his own show called The Unlucky Ones. He sent me a message and he was like, is that from the House of Jackville? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I saw that in the theater. I'm like, oh, so you saw the director's cut. Because this, by the way, the one on um, Amazon is very clearly not the director's cut. Like, there's no way that was the director's cut because even though it's two and a half hours long. Yeah. Even though it's two and a half hours long, there's no way that was the director's cut. And it's interesting. By the way, uh, just a point of fact for something coming up on the show. 
This movie is the same length as the director's cut of The Lawnmower Man. (laughs) Watch those two movies back to back as an example of density of film. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, I I was talking with him and because he was like, yeah, I saw the director's cut. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, like, there's clearly I can see where he like where it's been cut. Like, I can see where the director's cut was cut. And like, we didn't get to see this excessive gore, which didn't really bother me, to be honest. It doesn't detract from the story. But I was talking to him and I was like, yeah, this seems like more of a jerk off than his other films usually. Like, because I in my opinion, like he's a really fantastic filmmaker. But one of the things he absolutely adores doing is proving how good he is. Like the first 15 minutes of Melancholia, I always cite as like an example of like a director just like standing on stage and just jerking off on everyone. Like you are going to watch this and you are going to experience <laughs> my seed just flowing yeah. over you. And I, for some reason, this movie does not have that kind of mosaic feel that Melancholia did. And it felt like more of that almost because he was so deliberate in the way he shot a lot of this stuff. And what's interesting is I felt this way. And then Ren was like, is it weird that I felt it was less of that? Um, I was like, is that wrong? I'm like, no, like you're supposed to have felt it was less masturbatory than a normal Lars von Trier movie. Yes. Which I thought was, which I thought was really interesting. And he was like, is that wrong? Ren, if you're listening, no, you're wrong. (laughs) You're just wrong. That's bad. That's bad insight. Well, the best, well, the best, then like we went further. And this is again, like, this is something really interesting. And he was, and he actually is like, don't talk about this in the show. Oh my God, please don't talk about this in the show. But like, he was talking to me. He's like, it's strange. Like, throughout the course of the movie, like, occasionally I sort of like, I, I wanted to, I, he was like, felt, he's occasionally, he's like, occasionally I felt compelled to almost empathize. Like try to understand with Jack. Try to understand Jack more, and I was like, "That's the most psychotic thing I've ever heard." No, in my he's life. supposed to understand Jack. I, this is, right. It was really. I think, it was this, very this funny. This is the most. This is the element of it that is Lars von Trier jerking himself off onto our faces through the screen. Is guys, all you hear about is I'm this terrible narcissist, <laughs> repugnant little man, but you love my heart. Right. You love me. You know, like a bad guy couldn't make all this. Yeah. I don't want to just keep lambasting Ren. I get it. No, but Ren was cool. really. Don't was, feel weird about this. No, don't feel. That was. But uh, to your point, if your though, nipples got hard at any point in this movie, then then you should probably you feel need to go get help. Seek help. <laughs> <laughs> that. But to your point, though, like what's interesting and again, like I agree, like that's the point of film criticism and the point of watching movies is everyone. There is a subjective nature to all of them. Like we talk about good and bad movies, but really there's no such fucking thing. Like, I mean, there is the there's subjective there's the subjective nature of like going to see a movie like the house that jack built and walking out and going that was absolutely repugnant i can't believe i sat through that but at the same time you went knowing full well what that was going to be like anyone who went and saw this in the theater knew what they were getting themselves into so like the subjective nature of liking or not liking a movie or feeling a certain way and thinking that might be wrong that's like the point of the movie to me like you're sitting there watching this absolutely fucking terrible person go through like what he calls his like five, like his basically he's doing like his like top five from high fidelity. Like he's playing his own fucking (laughs) mixtape and like, you know, it's funny. This is actually probably what Rob becomes (laughs) when high fidelity ends. If you think he's going to then just be a good boyfriend. No, he's like, I'm going to make this last last mixtape and then go buy a meat locker. (laughs) Yes, but, like, that's, like, the whole point of the movie, I think, is 
you want to talk about this. Like you want to have that conversation because this is a difficult movie. It's not a difficult movie to sit through. It's a difficult movie to like engage with, in my opinion. Like I sat there feeling like I was just taking it the whole time. And I think that's the point. Like you're so like felt like one of Jack's victims. Yeah. Like, I think that's a lot of what it is though. Is like, and you're right. Like the claustrophobia of the meat locker and really everything in general that happens in that movie is all just a ticking clock because you know he's going to kill that person. There's no way he's not going to kill someone. So you're waiting the entire time for it to happen. And then when like, like for instance, like we'll get to it, but the third incident, that was the one where I told my wife, like, you need to leave the room. Like, there's no way you're gonna be able to watch this. (laughs) Like she, like Uh, she actually, she actually watched the beginning of the movie with me, like the first incident. And she was like, Oh God, I hope he kills Uma Thurman. I'm like, he will. Don't worry about it. But like, that was, but that's like, to me, that's the Lars von Trier buffer. Like he's like, how far can I push this? I'm gonna do this thing where you like actually kind of like want her to die. I'm gonna write this person so like it's okay for her to die, and then I'm gonna fuck with you for the rest of the movie. Okay, now that's that's a good jumping up. I mean, we've done almost 20 minutes of I know no, nothing about the movie because it this it's one of those things, right? So we start off with this dark passenger essentially, which we find out might actually be a light passenger, right? Uh, and this is him explaining, right? He's are you allowed to talk? Uh, you know, are there rules? And essentially what we learn, this is Jack kind of spilling his guts to someone, right? right? And he'll tell them the five highlights. And, you know, we find out this character named Verge, which is clearly Virgil uh, from the Inferno, right? Yeah. So this is, don't think you'll shock me. So we kind of already get a sense, right? Like pretty early on, you're like, oh, this seems to be Jack at a Pearly Gates type of moment. Right. Um. What I think is fascinating about this, and the movie actually does this much later on, right? I'm trying. I'm going to try to do most of this without jumping way far down the line. Right. But the the first incident wasn't sitting well with me, right? Right. So I'm like, these are two good actors, and this script is really bad. Yeah. I'm like, no one just talks this on the nose about the movie we're watching. Right. But what I really I give it a bit of a pass, right? Because what this movie is doing is actually, I think it's setting us up deeper into Jack's mind, Mm -hmm. right? Because what we learn right off the bat is Jack, we are watching now Jack's own memories of the crime as he sees them. Right. So I think right off the bat, although things play realistic at times, this is kind of how Green River Killer felt, right? Like if you ever go back and like look at, his kind of interviews and this and that there's this compartmentalization of how he did it. Right. And a lot of killers have this, right. They keep these memories. And a lot of these guys like, will for the rest of their lives jerk off to their memories of their crimes, Right. But all memories are fallible, right? We, we make them more cinematic and this and that. So Uma Thurman becomes this archetype of victim that he wants to destroy. Right. And another thing we see throughout the movie is Jack in the, the first incident and the second and this and that, there is a progression of him as a kind of man. He doesn't even feel like the same character in, let's say, the fourth incident as he does the first. Right. There's a bit of unraveling. So while they're doing a lot of this, you could be a serial killer. Serial killers do this. Why am I in the van with you? Right. Why are you doing this? Oh, now someone's seen us with you. You can't. You're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. But what we're seeing is this is Jack as he saw himself at the start, right? Right. And, and I think that Uma Thurman being a, you know, an unsavory 
passenger, if you will. Right. Is Jack justifying right. what pushed him down this road? Well, I think what's interesting is it's also from an audience perspective. We're watching this and like it's justified to us. Like, man, of course he would do it. I'd fucking brain that bitch for talking the whole time, too. Like, also, like calling me a serial killer nonstop. Like, I remember like what like watching that scene. I was like, I was just like, she is so fucking annoying. Like, God damn, like someone right. do something like she will not stop talking about serial killers. Like eventually, yes. like even if you're not a serial killer, you're like, I'm not a serial killer, but I'm going to kill you if you don't shut up. Like, <laughs> but this is his way to turn you into right. a killer yourself. Well, what's right? awesome. It's the primer. This is how Jack sees other people. That is a scary uh, thing to expose to us. The audience right. is just by Uma Thurman talking and being like, Hey, no, you got to Uber me back to the car. Hey, change my tire. You're like, you bitch. Yeah. She's like, so he unveils the dark cereal. Super unappreciative and not cool. And I'm like, I kind of don't feel bad about her getting brained. Like, that's really bad. Right. We're in a large fun trailer movie and I'm sympathizing with the guy who just kills people. Like, are we really doing this? Like, it's an amazing <laughs> primer to the movie because, yeah, you're right. Like, it's the most subdued. And like, it's also, in my opinion, like it comes from the most American perspective of filmmaking. Like that to me is the most grindhousey beat in the flick like that picking up a fuck picking up a lady with a with a busted car on the side of the road i'm like this is how like horror movies and pornos start like this is americana (laughs) like this is yeah this is american through and through and then when it happens you're like oh this is kind of okay this is a little jarring and like not only that they don't do a lot of like like he's not doing a lot of two shot stuff it's a lot of close-ups and a lot of like almost talking directly to the camera like the camera okay but that's what i'm Yes, that's the point to me that was fascinating because I was really not digging it. I was like, oh, my God, he's off the deep end. But then I was like, what he's doing is he's setting up the archetype of I was a good guy, but I was driven to kill. Right. Right. So everything you're getting is this close up, no depth, no context, anything. Right. These two versions of these characters. Right. Terrible, evil woman who's kind of asking for it. You know, nice guy who. You know, it's not his fault that he just bashed her fucking face in <laughs> right. in that disgusting shot with a jack, right? Oh, God. And then we go to his his meat locker on Prospect Avenue, right? Yeah. And this is where, you know, oh, he kept all these pizzas. He didn't want them. There's a door he can't open. Okay, this is the theater of his mind, right? Right. So what, what we're doing in this first one is setting up the kind of unreliable narration for the rest of the movie. So while... I think a lot of people won't make it past the first incident. So they'll just be like, God, this sucks. Yeah. Well, I think there's actually a lot of heavy lifting right there yeah. that makes a lot of the uh, the next incidents kind of have this extra netting, right? That we don't we don't have to be as nitpicky because we know that we're just kind of walking through this guy's memories and that right. nothing this guy says can be trusted. See, and this is something that I think is interesting because – as far as like reliability as a narrator, like to me, I don't know. Like, I don't find him, I guess to me, like I don't find him unreliable because the unreliability of a guy like that is not because I don't think he's going to tell the truth. Cause this is someone who has nothing to lose. Like, as you find out, this is someone who has nothing to lose at this point. So him telling the truth about his experience really is a reflection of, how he really is not a reflection of how he wants to paint himself as the like provocateur, so to speak. Like he's, well, I think, okay. 
No, no, go ahead, finish. I, I see where you're going. He's telling the. He's telling. He's not necessarily telling his truth, like because a lot of this, he's telling the truth as as a, he's telling the truth as it relates to his overall work, so to speak. Like to me, he picks these particular incidences because they relate more to his general like. Because you're right, like there is this sort of odd devolution, like. It starts with this Uma Thurman thing where he's like this uptight guy and he doesn't want to fuck around. And by the end, he is very kind of like loose with it. It's very interesting to see that happen. Like even like especially Incident 4 where he like he is just like out in the open kind of. It's fascinating. But that's kind right. of how I feel like his reliability is not necessarily what I'd call into question. Like what I'd call into question almost is uh, I'd almost call into question more like – I don't know. I almost. I think I just believe him. I guess I wouldn't call him. Okay. Question. See, I I think you're making a good point, but here's where I push back slightly, right? And this is where this is where it gets kind of weird to start thinking of Lars von Trier's part in this. What we know about serial killers is a lot of times they will lose detail in facts because they try to make it more grandiose than they want. Right. A lot of serial killers, once they're caught, the part of the new hard on for them is trying to repulse the interviewers and the world, right? Showing them how gross they were. You right. see this a lot. Because I'm like one of those guys, I'm always listening to podcasts about serial killers, reading about serial killers. I think they're fascinating, right? And a lot of these guys, it's about pumping them up. And I think that's why Virgil specifically says, don't think there's something you can tell me that you won't. Right. And that sets Jack, that's in a direct challenge to Jack. Who, as we know, he says his killings are art for the gods, right? Right. That only hit, that his audience is God or the devil or whoever, right? The greater powers, period. And that that's why he thinks he was never captured in all this is because he is creating a performance piece for whoever put him here to do this, right? Right. So there's a kind of grandiose uh, or self-aggrandizing, if you will. And in that nature, I think... Because the, there's no way Uma Thurman said those things to me. That's not what that character was saying. Yeah. That's what he is kind of playing back in his head. Right. Right? About, oh, well, she kind of pegged me and is one of the births of this. Because we don't know. This obviously doesn't seem like his first victim. But she is the first one in the locker. Right. So while a lot of serial killers, right? Like Dahmer caught the jogger and – or not the jogger. The jogger got away, actually. He catches the guy – who he has drink with him in his house and smash him up in his crawl space. Right. That happens way before the, you know, kind of cannibal sex apartment. Right. Right. So I don't know that this is Jack's first, but this is Jack's kind of start of the journey that we're on with them. Right. And so, yeah, I think that unreliable this though, I think that is an important element of this movie. Sure. And I think Lars von Trier is saying that something about himself too right and that he thinks of us audience members as uma thurman and wants to bash our fucking oh for sure <laughs> yeah i mean like i think yeah in that sense i can get on board with unreliability because you're right like there's no way uma thurman said those things it's the interpretation but it's like but relating to what you're getting at it is the relate it is the relation of lars von Trayer to the audience like we all hear him say this one thing and he's almost doing it back to us where he's like, this is what you idiots sound like when you when I hear you talk. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, that's... That's what I said. He, yeah. I mean, I would check his records and make sure he does not have a walk-in locker. <laughs> All right. Sure. I'm on board with that. Yeah, I can see that. Oh, you write on Little Film Critics blog? Come here. <laughs> <laughs> Just like smashing bloggers' heads in. <laughs> 
See, we like it, Lars. We like it. Don't come for us. We're cool. We're cool. We're cool. Fucking, this is good. Yeah, you fucking creep. Yeah. Don't come for us. It's all right. We're your verge. We're your verge. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we're just the verge, man. Yeah, I'm the Clarence to your evil. It's a wonderful life to be cool. I'm the fatter Albert Brooks to your evil defending yeah, exa- your life. Yeah, exactly. I, be nice, bro. It's all right, man. I'll be your Meryl Streep. Don't worry about it. It's cute. Okay, so now that we... We get to the second incident. Yeah. To me, this one holds more truth. Yes. This one is the this one is the most honest, I think, because of the element of this is the part that Ren was like, I I I understand like the OCD nature. Like that because like this really relates more to like the OCD thing. Like this has a lot to do with how he operated early on. And well, how- this one this one covers a lot, right? So it does. one of the things I like that they start with is this is Jack. He kind of picks his victim. So we see some predator in the van. I think that stuff's really fascinating. Yeah. Matt Dillon is so fucking so good, good in this man. movie. It's I mean, it's it's terrifying he- to ever imagine seeing him in another movie. Yeah. now. He's well, so I, I texted you and I'm like, Matt Dillon doing voiceover during this movie. Like, I'm like, there's no way anyone should be cast as a villain in a, in an animated movie or anything other than Matt Dillon <laughs> for the rest of his career. That guy could make a fortune being a bad guy in animated movies. Oh my God. Yeah. He's, but this incident might be, this is probably my favorite incident. I would say. Yeah. Cause I think this is the truest form of Jack that I see in the movie. Right. Cause this is where he's doing the thing that most serial killers do, which is trying to be of both worlds. Right. Trying to still get away with it. His his proclivities, because this is something they talk about later, right? The more he gets into it, the less his OCD grips him. And the more he's released into this kind of primal evil version of himself. Hmm. This one feels more true to the serial killer struggle to me. Uh, I like him picking his victim. I like him stalking. The awkward conversation on the front doorstep is so great. I even love the part when the guy drives by and uh, the lady's like, oh, it's Glenn. He goes, hi, Glenn. Oh, yeah. I was like, that part She's had like, me fucking you know rolling. You know Glenn? Yeah, of course I know Glenn. Like, oh, Glenn. But this part, I fucking died laughing too because I'm like, oh, my God, it's it's the men in black lady. It's an Egger suit. Yeah. I was like, this poor lady should never be alone in a country house with any man. In I was re- yeah. I remember I was reading the synopsis. Uh, I was reading the synopsis. Like I just, I, I usually flip through um, synopsis when I'm when I'm watching movies, just so I can like, especially for this show, because because it's always movies we've seen. But I was like, who's that actress? And I, I was like, Siobhan Hogan. Who the fuck? And then I looked at the picture. Oh my god! Yes, of yeah. course. It's an Egger suit. It's an egg- <laughs> You're wearing an Egger suit. Like, I was like, fuck, <laughs> yes, I love that lady. That's the sequel, a suit that Egger built. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this this is another one, too, though, because I love the awkwardness of this conversation that I'm a cop. No, I'm not a cop. But he does this thing again, and Jack always slips these things in, right? This kind of, this is where the unreliability gets in. This, oh, this woman did deserve to fucking die. Right. So she's not buying his bullshit and won't let him in. And then as soon as he mentions she can get double pension, that turns her into this kind of evil harlot who doesn't care about her husband's death and will do anything for money. This is Jack again. He always in every incident finds some way of justifying his crime. Yeah. Maybe it's not as prevalent in three and five, but they're still there, I think. I mean, this one specifically, this is the most complete serial killer moment in the movie yeah and when he gets in when jack's face slips 
And he's like, you left me on that front doorstep. You fucking humiliated me. When he turns, I mean, honestly, like, spine-tingling fear gripped me. It's, yeah, he's, the whole bit is just so, everything about that scene is so fascinating. And, like, again, it's one of those things where it starts this very, it starts the same way Incident 1 does, where it's this, like, kind of hammy, like, and again, it's Jack's version of the conversation. And that's, like, what I think... Again, I, I'll agree with you now, like particularly in Incident 2, the re- unreliability of him as the narrator comes through because he justifies it with that. Like he justifies doing it because like she's evil or something like that. But deep down, you know that that's not his problem. Like that's really not his issue. And like as the incidents go on, he stops justifying it particularly, which I really kind of enjoy quite a right. bit. Like, well, like here's a fascinating concept to that point that I'll I'll ask your opinion on. After he kind of breaks her neck, right? And she's trying to do the Undertaker. Yeah. But she can't get up all the way. Right. He starts apologizing to her and slides a pillow under her head. Right. This is a moment where we're at, we're forced to ask ourselves, is this part of his, like, because there are different kinds of serial killer, right? There's, like, the power control, sexual deviant, whatever. Um, Is this part of his serial killer kink? Oh. This false hope for her? Or is this him again? kind of lying to himself that he wasn't as monstrous at the time. Do you think he actually gave her the pillow? Did he knife her? Did he keep strangling her? This is one of those moments where I'm like, I don't buy that Jack is apologizing to her and giving her a drink and putting a pillow under her head. Oh, no. I think he fucked up. Like, he didn't... Like, because later on, he talks about I learned how to... Because he went there to kill her, right? Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I think... Because later on, he talks about I learned how to strangle people for the right amount of time. Because, like, immediately after, they, they show him strangling another woman. Like... He's like, I learned how to strangle people, more importantly, for the right amount of time. Because I think what happened was he didn't strangle her long enough. She was still breathing. And then he, like, breaks up the donut and puts it in the water, which I assumed was to actually choke her. Well, her neck was snapped, too. So, like, in the tussle, her neck got broken, it right. looked like. So, I, the pillow thing struck me as, uh, again, this is him kind of, he has re, and this is some, This is another motif of the movie, is that Jack is an engineer who wishes he was an architect. Right who is constantly building this ideal house and tearing it down. And I, obviously that's not a very like clever wink at what Jack is doing himself in these incidents. Right. Right. So I think there's a bit of Jack trying to church up his origins. And I don't know if it's simply to make himself worse at the end or if that's honestly how he sees it. Well, I, but again, I'm a, I am of the school that I don't trust anything Jack says all the way the whole movie. Right. I mean, I think the I think the house the house motif, the general allegory to me, especially when he brings up I I was a civil engineer. I became a civil engineer because that was what I was told was like practical, but I really wanted to be an mm-hmm. architect. Like to me, that is that's Lars von Trier, honestly, having that conversation with himself. Like that to me is the most cuz that really what that is, that's uh practicality versus artistry. Like, oh, you want to be the artist who like builds the house and makes it beautiful and like really has this wonderful like you have the imagination to make something beautiful but it's shrunken down and crushed into this practicality of like you need to get something done like that's what it is like it's a matter of building a bridge or it's a matter it's a matter of building a bridge for convenience or a bridge because it's pretty like these sort of like it's it's again like to me uh, I relate it back to like the artist like that's what it's really about like it's 
functionality over artistry. Like, do I need to do this or do right. I want to do this? That's really kind of what it is. And I think that's what Incident 2 sort of Incident 2 sort of solidifies that this is about artistry. Like, I think that's the thing I love is like yes. the practicality yes. of it all. Like him following up that incident by saying, I finally learned how to strangle someone correctly. Like as fucking horrifying as that is, that is probably a very <laughs> practical thing you have to know when you're serial killing people. Like, that's what I assume. Well, this, this scene also goes on to more moments that really yes. solidify the, the director's journey, which is he kills her, but he can't stop going back in, right? right. That cleaning compulsion is, that scene is fucking phenomenal. Yeah, totally. One just on a serial killer, like, kink level. that He just keeps thinking, oh, there might be blood under this. Like, blood in ridiculous places. Like, how could blood splatter yeah. get behind a, a picture that's mounted to the wall? But that's not... That's exactly how directors think about their movies, yeah, too. Exactly. Right? That a lot of directors, they just want to go back and re-edit their whole life. I think that's what it so, is. I thought that was fascinating, too. But then the, the Rube police officer <laughs> that couldn't see it for what it was. Again, I think that's another shot at the critics. Yeah. I think every cop in this movie is kind of a bad, dismissive critic from his life. Oh, absolutely. Especially when you get... That or it's just white privilege. But yeah, I don't know. I mean... Well, I don't know. This you is know? the thing. What kind of cop, even the most bumpkin cop, if you see that van, when he opens the back of that van, you just assume there's never been a dead body in that van? Yeah. You are out of your fucking mind. Well, I mean, especially once you get to the fifth incident, you're like, there's no way this is, there's no way these cops are not critics. Like, there's no way. Like, there's just, right. there's not a chance in hell this isn't what it's about. Right. But this is, okay, so if you take this, right, the blood compulsion and the silly cop that, I love that scene in the living room, too, when he's like, I want to make sure this is all clean because I'm a taxpayer and you need my eyeball. Him trying to like cover it was so fucking awkward and funny. Yeah. Just on a surface level. I don't know if any of that means more. I fucking thought I was like laughing my ass off at that scene. Dylan was great. This moment though pairs really well, right? The, the compulsive pre-planned nature of this crime pairs well with, uh, you were saying the lady he learned to strangle properly. Yeah. And how he didn't get the photos he wanted. So on the way back, he just runs this other lady over for reasons he can't explain in his brain. And then that yielded this kind of uh, free-form jazz. Like, oh, I hit my fucking inspiration and the pictures were great. Right. right? So great that then he sent out his own publicity photos right, Mr. under his new guise of Mr. Sophistication. Yeah. That struck me again. That's a very directorly experience, right? Like oh, I don't know why I had to throw this other thing in, or, oh, this accident created some glorious art that I loved more, right. but people were repulsed by. And again, this is, I think it's funny that, because you always hear directors talk about movies as, like, generals in war. Yeah. It's really fascinating to look at it through the context of serial killers. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's almost more truth to that than there is that it's war. Like, this is, like, it's such a strange thing to watch and, like, really think about like, because honestly, in the middle of the movie, I'm like, this is really about Lars von Trier's career. Like, there's no way this is not. Like, right. there's so much relatable. There's so much relatable piece. There's so many relatable pieces about what it is to be in the system, be out of the system, not want to be in the system. Like, all this sort mm -hmm. of, like, because serial killers are, by their very nature, outsiders. So, like, yeah. there's no reason that this movie shouldn't be looked at as, like, this huge allegory for Lars von Trier's general career. Because, like, you think about the very beginning, which is, like, 
his Dogma ninety five days where he's making a movie like with just the what's with the Europa trilogy shit like Europa that. trilogy. It's just like what he has available to him, which you know in the first incidents a tire jack fucking brain somebody that's what's available to him in the moment like and then you go into the second incident where finally he's maybe got a little he's got a little more assertion over it and he's able to fucking bullshit his way into another murder but he learns from it and learns and decides oh i know how to actually do this now i I learned how to do this portion this portion of the job and then finally it takes you into like then you get to the third incident where he's trying to play by the rules like that, I think, is the really interesting part, because after the third, the third incident comes up and that's when he's like dating the woman with the kids. And that is where he that to me is Lars von Trey saying, I tried like that's where you were talking about, like uh, Dogville, where he had a lot of like high, high profile actors in his movies and where he's like, I tried playing by your rules and doing it my way. Like, this is what I'm trying to do. And he described and Jack describes in the movie, like, I understand the need for like appearing normal and the need for like kids, so to speak, and the need for like a woman who could be a mother, that kind of thing. That to me, everything about this movie. And I, I know that sometimes we've done this on the show, but there's nothing about this movie that doesn't feel relatable to this man's career in general. So when we get to the third incident with grumpy and George, like that's the first thing I think of is like, okay, this is the portion. This is the part where Jack's describing how he tried to blend which is a lot of what a lot of serial killers do, like Gacy did it, like all that kind of stuff, which is really fascinating. And that's probably the thing that makes that probably, in my opinion, the most brutal. Probably one of the we most, actually most we actually skip some big mo. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. Incident three is definitely the one you're like, oh, for sure. I made a good call watching this by myself. <laughs> I have I have two young sons. My wife never would have made it. Right. Uh, but okay, so we skipped over this. There, there is a reinforcing moment now of um, God wanting the show of his art and protecting him, right? That right. there is no heaven and hell. Body is of one, mind is of another, right? Right. What? By the way, when he rolls that corpse over and her face has just been sanded down by the road. That's oh, so yeah. fucking nasty. I totally it's forgot. such a throwaway. It's such it just kind of happened so nonchalantly. <laughs> uh, this is another thing I was watching and I was like, how is no one out at this hour and like seeing this guy like road haul a corpse down the road? Like no one right. is out. It was a, it's one of those. It was like <laughs> this is one of those like I'm gonna have to get. This is the one I'm gonna have to give to this movie where I'll be like, you know what? Of all the things that fucking crazily happened in this film, the one I'm gonna have to give is that no one saw this like this lady get road road hauled down the road. Well, I mean, it seems like it's pretty empty. And then we get this, the great rain, they call it, right? That yeah. washes away all the blood. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah. And to me, I thought this is the point where, right? like, I don't know if Jack seems almost saddened by that in a way. He talks about it as this freeing moment. But I think in a way he he realizes now that all of his work, right, this great trail to his work and mind is gone. That now people won't find out like what he's done and this and that. And so you see this Jack seems to descend more and more into just carelessness and sloppiness, right? Like I want to get caught. I right. want people to realize my genius. Right. He's trying. I thought the cleansing rain was pretty fascinating, right? Because the next time we see him is the the hitting the lady, the taking the corpse back to the apartment. Right. Even as a kid, when he cuts the duck's leg off, that's just thrown in as this. You know, I could have had a peaceful thing just being a duck killer, but, yeah. you know, no one ever caught me. So I kept 
there, there's this sense of anti-voyeurism, right? He wants the voyeurism. He likes that Virgil's here to now do this ride with him. Ooh. And and I think he that's what he's when the blood's washed away, I actually think that's a sad moment for Jack. Yeah, I think he's experience <laughs> he's experiencing it's sort of like uh this is gonna sound sort of like I like postcoital almost, I feel like. Like <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. Like to me, it's one of those things. You're like, oh my god, I'm excited. I think we do coital very differently. <laughs> <laughs> Not me, but you know, it's one of those uh, things sure. where you're like, oh, beep 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 beep. It's beep. sort of this. Can let- you help Andrea Dandino? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's this sort of let, but it's like the letdown. It's the adrenaline. It's the adrenaline rush post let. It's the after the adrenaline rush. You're sort of like down now. Like that's the thing that I think is most prevalent when I watch it. Is that kind? Yeah. Of, that's the kind of thing I think about. So, I, I don't know. Like that is, um, it's. Oh fun. my god! There's a great scene tucked in there too. Remember when he's practicing the emotions in the mirror? Oh god, dude! Matt, Dillon, I feel like I've seen this before, but he's so. Matt Dillon's just good so in that good. Moment. Like he's just. I, I can't believe how fucking good. But this that. is, this is the thing though, right? Isn't it? It made me a little sad as I'm like, so many people are gonna be so scared and turned off of this movie. Yeah. They're going to miss a really, truly, like, career-defining performance from Matt Dillon. I don't think – I think this is one of those movies that, like, in, I think, probably two years, once it, like, circulates enough, it's going to be one of those movies where we're like, I should have not, like, slept on this. Like, I really think that that's going to be one of those things. Because this movie, in my opinion, <laughs> while being very brutal, I, I really did not find it as, like – it was not as disgusting as I expected it to be. Granted, this is not the director's I, cut, but right. And I, I don't think it's the gore and the violence that's disgusting. I think it's the sitting in the the pre moments yeah. of a crime. It's the brutality. and then the way he the way he treats the bodies after. Yeah, well, it's yeah. just something that humans have never. Because I've always, it's like one of those things. Like, why do people waste money on funerals and shit? Like. There should just be a big incinerator somewhere, and when our bodies are dead, you get them out of the way. You don't want to waste tons of land and spend thousands. Like, weird. But humans just, we have this weird relationship with death and bodies, and right. they should be revered. And this movie's like, no, fuck that. That's just me. Yeah. Right? They even go on the pizza shelves. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, there is. It's like but, unceremonial. It's pretty interesting. Oh, big. And I think that's one of the, the kind of things that will be so hard for. I think there's a huge percentage that will never be able to get through this. Sure. Um, And I, I don't blame them. No. I don't blame them. I don't them. either. It's, I just, it's brutal. It's such good work that is going to be so buried well, in just this mountain of sliminess. <laughs> it's, it's, you brought up the duck thing, and I did want to say this. I, I read online. I was reading about the movie, and. Um, Apparently, PETA was totally okay with the way that he handled the uh, duck thing. Everyone, like, they're like, what? You fucking hypocrite bastards. What are you talking about? There's an animal rights, there's a bunch of animal rights activists who were, like, really upset. And PETA did, like, some investigation, cleared cleared the entire production of, like, no wrongdoing towards animals. PETA's like, oh, he maimed a duck? That's a perfect poster child for us to raise more money. Right. You fucking Right. <laughs> apparently asshole. he did, like, whatever he did was completely humane or something like that. And I'm like, well, that's a duck. It's not a I'll human. I'll tell you this. That was one of the moments I'm like, I want to turn this off. Yep. I'm like, if I watch him hurt that little duck, I'm going to be pissed. Well, apparently. It, that one really made me mad. And then thankfully he decided, he's like, oh, the, the child maiming a duck is so repulsive. I was really mad. He's like. Let's just take like a 20 minute break for metaphor. 
<laughs> I have a so feeling this is where that... we do the lion and the tiger. Yeah. And we do the lamppost right here in this segment. Oh, dude. The lamppost thing, I was just like, why? I get it. Like, look, there is. Again, I was just like, I, I think by that time I was like, let's let's like really do this movie. Like, I don't need a fucking lighting demo in the middle. Oh, thank you, cinematography right. class right in the middle of the film. I was worried I wasn't going to get that. Well, you you can you can hear every film professor of all time saying, "Show me, don't tell me." <laughs> <laughs> and it's to me, this is one of those things that I like that he throws in these little. I thought that was a very – like, that's one of those things I'll take from this movie and I'll always have. I thought it was a very interesting uh, little visual summation of this kind of dark passenger journey. Yeah, I'm like, weren't we already doing this the whole movie? Did I need to see that yeah. to know that he does something bad and then he tries to be good and then he has to do something bad again? Right. No, I understand because there's obviously a freezer full of dead right. bodies at the end. Well, it's like the, he did but this whole – that's like one of those things that – like that and the breath of the meadow and things like yeah. that. Those are things he does this kind of novelist style, like researched soliloquy that I, I just like, I like that. I get why it's kind of, it stops the movie pretty, it stops the movie hard. dead in its tracks. Like if you're going to do a yes. giant William Blake metaphor, <laughs> like I get it. Like That's what we're doing. Like, again, it's one of those things where you you're know what's like, funny. He sets up a William Blake thing and then he's like, Scratch that. We're going to lamppost. I was <laughs> yeah. like, you know what? Lighting I was demo. like sitting there Never like mind. rubbing my tum tum. I'm like, ooh, I'm ready to fill this belly with William Blake knowledge. Let's go. No, he has no. They just shut me the fuck down. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, I wrote. In, That's what I do when I'm happy and trying to learn. I rub my tum tum. I actually, I, I wrote in my, I actually wrote in my, uh, I wrote in my notes. I was like, oh, good, a lighting demo. This whole bit is like a college poetry course, but. You know. <laughs> I think it does, it also does work on that level of Lars von Trier's like, here, idiots, here, idiots, I'm going to fucking spoon feed you. This this demo is the pie, and I'm going to shove it into your dead body, <laughs> which now we'll get to in Incident 3. The most – Incident 3 might be the most repulsive. I love that. Of the movie. Uh, which which incident do you think is the worst? I thought – Incident in 5 is barely an incident. I think incident. F okay, wait. Here's a question: Because incident five is barely an incident, and then incident two kind of has the extra incident where we unveil Mister Sophistication. Right. Maybe incident five isn't even, or maybe the journey to the depths is the incident. I mean, we'll get there. Incident we'll get there. five isn't really. Yeah, incident five is not really a thing. But incident three, I think, is the most brutal, mainly because of it involving children. Like to me, incidents. <laughs> well, this also is brutal for a guy like you because I know this drives you nuts. This was another of those. Let's stop the movie and do this Wikipedia entry on hunting ethics. Oh, God. <laughs> like, it was just one which again, I was just rubbing the tum tum. Like it's one of those things where, like, eventually I just got used to it. Like the lighting demo thing, I was like, let's just get through this. But like by oh, the no, end of the movie, that's me rubbing the tum tum, saying I can't wait to say this at a bar, a dinner party, <laughs> and people are like, God, that guy's fucking smart. <laughs> That guy's smart. He doesn't go to Taco Bell three times a week. That guy's smart. You know, by the end of the movie, I was just kind of <laughs> like, it's fine, whatever. Like, we'll just we'll just do this. Um, But to me, where really, like, Incident 4 is particular. I think Incident 4 actually was much more brutal than Incident 3. Incident 4 I, was like. This is the thing. Incident 4 is designed to not draw your sympathy like 3. Uh, yeah, I think so. Maybe that's what it's like. Incident 3, here's something I'll ask you, right? We do this big hunting rules lesson. Yeah. And then it is a hard cut from, come up here with me, boy, and hit the target, to they are cowering yeah. now. 
we don't really see the the serial killer slip from oh i'm just a pa showing my boy guns and how to murder non-humans to oh i'm gonna blow your fucking head off right <laughs> well i mean it's strange to me that he didn't show that part did, did that stick out to you at all what the brain's getting blown out no it, it was strange to me i don't think you can do like close-ups of like faces like you can't do scanners with this hunting rifle and these kids but no to me the the serial killer slip is what i was confused about not seeing because he's actually just talking to them normal like hey you hit the target the next thing we see if i remember is just a hard cut to the mom and kids cowering behind cover yeah we don't see him slip and say you have 10 seconds he doesn't set up the game with them it's just a hard cut no i mean i think into the the incident i think that's a direct i mean that's like to me just a director's choice of like all right we we all know what what's going to happen here like that's the thing that i think that's but well see those are the moments i love from dylan so maybe that's just why it stuck out could be oh we could have had a good slip well i mean like we ended up doing it with uh to me it it, like that slip comes at i mean well it's not really a slip but that brutality and what you're looking for i think comes at the end of the bit uh, not bit that's oh my god that might be the gro- okay so that might be the grossest the basics, thing i've ever seen in a movie like just the basics of watching these kids get taken down the mom holding her kid wailing yeah i mean it's just one of those images in movies or books or comics whatever that just always fucking cracks me down to the core and i have two young boys man so this this scene was exceptionally hard to watch for me and her wailing, and then the cut to the picnic. The picnic might be because someone actually asked this on Twitter the other day. Like, what are the scenes that always scare you, no matter what? Like, you've seen them a hundred times, they still scare you. And I was like, oh, for me, that's Linda from Evil Dead, right? right. That little laugh or doll makeup. This scene doesn't scare me as much as I don't think I could ever watch that without being unnerved and repulsed my entire life. No, not at all. Like, I guess it's scary in the fact that you're like, there are people out there that would do shit like this, but. I just had this urge to just like exorcist vomit. Yeah. The whole time I was watching this. I mean, I couldn't, I wasn't writing notes. I don't know that I was barely breathing. I was just kind of slack jawed, like, oh man, this took a really bad turn. I mean, to me, (laughs) like, relating it back to where I, what I think the metaphor of this film is, this is, this is, this entire section is his depression and antichrist. Like, that's all it is. Like, this is the most brutal he could uh, possibly do within the realm of this movie. And he actually takes it up a notch from Antichrist, in my opinion. But like, You think this is a kill your dar- darlings metaphor? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think what it is is, like, this is... Because when he made that movie, he was like... The stories of that movie being made are so intense because he was so... Oh, yeah. He was so depressed, like, he couldn't even get out of bed a lot of the time. Like, that movie took, like, over a year to make. But it was also, yeah. like, one, A, like critically one of probably was people's most favorites like even though it was brutal I, and disgusting. i think bar to entry short uh well because i think most people won't get into dogville because it's some people will turn it on and be like what the fuck it's an empty sound state and like would right. turn it off right? right i think just on basic ease of watching and getting what he's doing antichrist is probably the most it's the most palatable i think like audience friendly movie which is, even though it descends right. very rapidly it's weird to say that but i think you're completely right like it's the most audience friendly movie he's ever made so like to me that's what it, and that's the fucking pie dude the audience and the critics are the dead kids and he's fucking spoon yeah. feeding him the sweets he's like they i'm want. gonna have to do this like that oh, that scene of her giving him the pie that is, is the just, grossest thing i've ever seen in a movie like that is that that broken mom even 
this is some this is an interesting choice he made. Because if I'm that mom, I'm just like, fuck you. Yeah. There is nothing for me to live for. She's so shell-shocked that it doesn't play as this, like, cowering, like, please spare me, spare me. I just want to live. It's not that kind of cowering, gross self-serving, no. uh, like, survival she's thing. She's done. She just she, – she's not in reality no, anymore. She is finished. Like, she watched her too. But that – when she puts the pie to those lips, uh, that is one of those – I'm like, this is such a haunting – and disturbing moment. Um, I'll think of that the rest of my life. And that's the kind of shit, again, if people don't watch this because they don't want to carry around the, the dead kid pie baggage, totally get it. Yeah. I totally Absolutely. get it. Absolutely. <laughs> Bar none, the most creepy thing that happens in this movie, and it's, it, I mean, is... Well... <laughs> Bar none. That's not the only time he goes for Grumpy's mouth. Well, that's what I'm equally. That's disturbing. what I was getting at. Bar none, the creepiest thing that happens to me is actually after this incident. He talks about taxidermy and rigor mortis, and Ugh. that the 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 sounds, Ugh. the fucking soundscape. Oh my god! During that moment of him working on Grumpy's body, Ugh. and then that that weird fucking joker smile yeah. statue he that makes. is like out of, straight out of a fucking horror movie right there like that is that is beyond oh, yeah. horrific that is like truly terrifying and that's, that's the shit where people say this is just getting into it's not even a film it's just like a snuff film it's it's smut yeah that's one of those moments where i'm like i tend to almost agree like i don't know that artistically that adds an enormous amount right to the movie, uh, it's definitely impactful. It's also not, but I don't. I don't think there's any kind of like artistic meaning in him going from grumpy to smiley, right? And just sitting there smiling at the work. It does just feel like there there is a mean spiritedness to this movie <laughs> of of wanting to make the audience suffer, yeah. like Jack's victims. That this scene encapsulates perfectly. Right. Well, and then. So that ha like it's funny because like for all the lingering that sometimes that happens at the end of these bits where he like decides to go into this like deeper metaphor, like almost immediately we go to the next thing. He's like, "All right, you guys have suffered enough. I'll I'll move on to the next thing." Like he does not want to focus on like Grumpy's smile, which I thought I'm like, if I have to sit there and look at that little kid's like dead rigor mortis smile for like over 20 seconds i'm gonna be like i'm turning this movie off without question like I oh no i mean that thing just becomes a, a honey i shrunk the kid prop for the rest of the movie right yeah like as jack just moves about the freezer there's just oh yeah there's that fucking taxidermied kid yeah it's like the same way they find like moon pies in the yard <laughs> <laughs> I, shrunk the kid. I was like that can't be a prop that cannot be a prop oh my god yeah so yeah that but that's what i mean incident two to me is the best serial killer scene yeah this is the one that just fucking ripped my guts out and maybe that's why four didn't matter to me as much because maybe three had taken all the humanity i had and just fucking you know shit it down the toilet of life right. i don't know well i think three, but I, I, I was i was hollowed out after i think that incident part. three is meant to in, incident three is meant to do that like it's meant to kind of hollow you out and you're like done because by incident four like the things he does in incident four he is such a brutal. Did you did you realize he all of a sudden became the fucking suave pimp? He's the exact opposite of the doorstep with the anger suit lady. Yeah, no, he became a. When he what takes, he became it's like, like an, it's he, like a meat cue. He like became right? his character from the Outsiders or something like that. It was really weird. Yeah. Oh no, we got to see uh, Tender Matt Day Matt Dillon. <laughs> well, it was so like yeah, because that's when he what takes happens. The phone to the other room and they talk. I was like. 
that is smooth pimping. But he does that. Like, that is suave as hell. But on top of that, there's still this, like, tone of shittiness because he keeps calling her simple. Because she's he's like, well, you know, you're stupid. That's after. That's Because first he suaves her up, right? When she's like, you fucking, I think you're cheating on me. You don't want me. And he's like, go on, girl. Grab this phone. Uh. Yeah. He drops some prints on her. And then it goes from Prince to Guar. <laughs> Guar. Because <laughs> then it's all facade and mean. Right. <laughs> Actually, Guar would never do this to a woman. I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry for offending Guar. Well, What's one of those Norwegian Satan metal bands that murders people? One of those guys. That's what happens. Ghost. Yeah, then he just he slips and once he... Because this is the weird part too, right? This is the one where he tells Virgil, he's like, I actually think I loved her. Which is strange. This is the girl, right? What? Yeah, not only strange, but you're like, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I never yeah. said this before, but I don't think you know what love is. But that, yeah, yeah, I think you needed a dictionary in there with all your fucking architecting books. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, once he has her hooked, then he just like unloads on her. Yeah. But this part again, this goes to the. It feels like this is another shot at us, the viewers of. I am here in plain sight. I am wooing you. You guys obviously want to be around me, even though you don't like me. And he's just like, I'm telling you right to your face what this is, and you won't recognize it. Right. Because that's what happens, too, when she runs downstairs. uh, And she's like, the guy in my apartment's Mr. Sophistication. He's a serial killer. Ah!" And the cop's just like, go upstairs. Stop drinking. Right. Well, that's (laughs) okay. Going back to my metaphor. This is the period where he makes melancholia a nymphomaniac. And this is literally someone running down and screaming in the critic's face like, this guy might be a genius. And like, eh, get out of here. Like, yeah. he's trying to make movies that are actually palatable. Like, you might want to work for, you might want to have him work. Like, nah, we're good. Like, this is like the ignorance of critics. I really do think this is like the most, this, I think that's why this is the most brutals because it ends up being this thing where, she goes down and does this, and then he, the, the that scene where she like looks down at the phone and realizes the phone cord's cut. Holy shit, man! Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. I fucking love that beat. Like, and it's a different phone too. I think, which is very strange. Then the, it's like, how many phones does this lady have in her apartment? Well, she has like, well, that was I thought that was like a toy phone. Because there were the two red phones that they did the get like the meat cute yeah. on, and then I think this was a white phone. I was like, this lady well, has yeah, the meat a cute. lot of rotary phones. Well, the meat cute I thought was like a gag phone, like some sort of weird toy or something like that. Oh, you think that's an S toy? I guess. It's like let's put these receivers inside of each other and then <laughs> dial. <laughs> no, that that phone is real. The one that he like cuts the cord for. But then like he does this Hey, if you can have sex with it, it's real. <laughs> but again, it goes on to like though so he again, again this ends with him describing like this other thing that serial killers do a lot of the time, which is trophies. Which yeah. Oh, this also has another great serial killer slip. Yeah. When Damon is standing up and he does the, if you feel like screaming, I definitely think you should do that. Oh, I love that. And then he, and you just see this moment of like, oh my God. And then he goes to the window and even screams is no one got a hell. Yeah. But wait, is that before or after he gets the, the marker out? That Oh, that's way after. The marker is such a repugnant moment. Yeah. He because we the audience know exactly what he's doing. He takes the marker out like while before he like before she even runs down and she's like Mister Sophistication like he, she like thinks it's foreplay. Oh, that's right. Yeah, like it's like a foreplay thing, which is fucked. 
there is that weird moment of like, because he keeps saying she's simple, and I'm like, that's mean. And then I'm like, if someone is drawing lines on you, yeah. that's not for Not just Perhaps like you are dotted <laughs> lines, which generally are used to cut things. Like, are you that? Yes. You are that simple. Like, that's the part yeah. of like, you need to go. I felt bad. I'm like, you should have gotten better schooling. Yeah. We should be teaching, uh, be afraid of people that draw lines on you in elementary yeah. school. I guess. This is the kind of stranger danger all children need to know now. Like, yeah. Uh, oh, God. But it it's, it's just fucked. that that is where he's fully ferocious, right? Because yeah. this the second scene being the best serial killer scene, I feel like is how most of them operate. This one fa- this is very uh, Dennis Rader, right? BTK. Yeah. Where he was like this deacon at church and a normal guy and a husband. And then he became this fucking just the most fucking vile of serial killers. Right. right? This scene is because you, you hear this a lot with serial killers that. It's this kind of a uh, diminished returns effect, right? Where you do a drug enough and it's just not giving you what you want. This is his, like, he's going full on fucking primal rage mode. Right. And it's fucking terrifying. And then just as a little cherry uh, puts the titty on the cop's windshield as he's like busting graffiti kids. Yeah. As an extra fuck you to, oh, you guys are over there watching fucking Bumblebee? Yeah. I'm over here giving you art. I'm here to make it art. <laughs> it under the- Fine, I'll fucking put yeah. it on your windshield. I don't give a shit. Lars von Trier hates that we love Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then like, it goes a little further and talks about trophies. And he's buying, it actually bleeds into the fifth incident a little bit. And he's buying shotgun, he's buying uh, bullet bullets. And he pulls money out. But this out. is where we stop and do the whole art diatribe, right? Yeah. This is where I think the montage of Von Trier hits. This is the... This is, this is where he talks about the, the, the cruelness and indignities that we can commit in art. And how that compares to life. Where we get this, Lars Von Trier's this resume. Thing, yeah. This is where I rolled the shirt back down, and you're like, there's no tummy rub here, Lars. <laughs> no, no. I don't like this. I don't, this is not my thing. <laughs> yeah. Stop justifying your bullshit, yeah, Lars. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> just make your movie. Don't explain Don't explain to me why you're making this movie. Just make it. I, I don't want to need If like... you have a freezer, just turn yourself in for the love of God. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we get uh, Lars von Trayer doing Clippy for Microsoft Office, which is like, it's just so strange. And a boob wallet. It's like an art yeah. diatribe into a boob wallet. Yeah, so it's like ends, the highest brow to the lowest brow. It literally ends with him taking money out of a wallet of his like leathered boob that he's shorned off this woman. Like it's fu- And there's just a guy who works at a gun store who's like, I ain't affected. I've seen worse. <laughs> yeah, like, he's like, whatever. I never want to go to this town. I'm like, that town seems terrible. Nobody seems to give a shit about anything. <laughs> Then this leads us into the fifth incident, which really isn't an incident. It basically I got one more. He's like, if you don't like the boob wallet, you should see the guy whose iPhone case is a dick and balls. <laughs> what other what other body accessories does this guy see? <laughs> Some guy comes in with like one of those Groucho glasses and nose, but they're just real. It's like a real human. <laughs> He's like, these gun customers are very oh, unreliable. Man, Von Trayer should have done that. I can't believe he missed that opportunity. That would have been perfect. That's really a Law von Trayer thing. Is like I would say Lars should meet me up, and we'll talk about these ideas, but I'll never be in a room with him alone again, yes. ever. You can do it behind a plate glass window while I talk <laughs> yeah. to him. We'll do it Gross in a police Lars. station where everyone can see what's going on the whole time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what's interesting, the fifth incident really isn't an incident. It's more like the incidence is that he fucks up. Like That's probably the thing I like the most is like he's – I don't know if he does, though. Does he fuck up in this one? Yeah. 
come on. You don't like to me, if you don't notice that you got the wrong bullets, like that's the thing, I guess. Like, I mean, I guess he's the guy that would know what kind of bullet it is. Well, and I mean, he, like, I, w- I would never know. I mean, like I, I wouldn't either. Like he opened the box. Because here's the thing that I so basically oh yeah you're right he didn't check it before he left that's Taco Bell drive through 101. But here's the thing though that I love is he basically has like they're all sort of law enforcement people or something like that lined up on like a chopping block essentially and he wants to shoot well, a bullet. One of them's like in one of them looks like a businessman. Yeah. The, the last guy's definitely military of some kind. He wants to shoot a bullet through all their. How heads. many guys does he have? Five. It's like four? five or six. Oh. So he wants to get a bullet Gross. through every single one of their heads one shot. You know. And it obviously, this, you know, just a normal hobby inspired by researching Nazis as, as will happen. Right. <laughs> this is, and this to me is, this is like, this is Lars von Trey predicting the future because this incident five is the house that Jack built. He has six. At, oh, you remember what else he's doing though? This is a small detail. I was going to ask your opinion on this. Did you notice he also uh, had been eating the shitty pizzas that earlier in the movie he said he'd never taken a bite of one? No, really? Yeah, there is a, a open pizza box. Some slices were missing. I can't remember if we see him take a bite of pizzas, but oh yeah, I was okay. Like, Wait, what? What do the pizzas represent? Are the pizzas his uh, less than Christian urges? I remember seeing. I guess I remember seeing the boxes, and I was like, "Is he eating pizza in the freeze? Like, is he deep freezing yeah. his pizzas? What's going on? The shitty pizzas that he said he never had a bite of. He has been eating the pizzas now." So maybe that's. I think the pizzas are his inner demons. That could be it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's nourished by his evil. <laughs> it makes total sense. So like he's nourished by his own evil because again, like this whole it just corpses every. Yeah. Because he told us in the the uh, boob wallet apartment that he's killed what sixty six, plus six, people? sixty plus people. Woo. So the whole the free the freezer's pretty much you know up to, the freezer's pretty much filled up. So, yeah, I mean, this is another one of those just like passing, uh, disgusting images of just like bodies just stacked yeah. on shelves. So he realizes <sighs> he realizes he has the wrong bullets. He goes back to the bullet store and yells at the guy for giving him a box of bullets that were wrong. Apparently, then he goes. You know what would have been great is if he came back with that uh, white lady haircut from the memes to let me talk to your manager. <laughs> if he actually has a, a let me talk to your manager lady he had killed in the freezer. Yes. And he made a wig out of it, and he goes, this goes great with my fucking boob wallet <laughs> and my dick and balls high five. So, <laughs> then he goes, to, who's the guy, that, who's the guy's house he goes to? It, it seems like it's just another one of his buddies, just like, a like guy. some guy who's been supplying him with something. Who, see, he went there to, I don't remember what he went there to get. I thought he went there, cause, oh, because the guy wouldn't sell him the full metal jacket bullets. He didn't have them. So we went there. And so he was getting those bullets from that yes. trailer guy. And the trailer guy kind of like has figured out the game apparently. And then ba- he at least knows he's under, he's going to be sought. Yeah. Right. So basically, yeah. well, you know, it's really not important. He fucking, I mean, it is, but it's also, you should watch it. Um, basically he shoots the guy, shoots a cop. Well, we see, we see his disarming charm, right? Yeah. The, he just tells this guy like, Hey, you have been a friend to me. Like, I'm glad it was you that caught me. And the fucking guy, I'm like, what's the point of being a crazy Second Amendment gun guy who lives in a trailer and dresses like Rocky pre-fight? <laughs> yeah. If you're not going to shoot someone, yeah. this is the moment. Shoot, just Every shoot him. fucking diehard Second Amendment NRA guy, this is their dream. Yeah. An active criminal in your trailer park. 
You have your gun pointed at him. All you want to do is splatter brains. Maybe that's the point. Maybe that's what Lars von Trey is trying to say is like, you guys don't have the balls to shoot someone. Like, that's probably what, that's kind of what it is, you know? It reminds me of like, if a vegan finally met the cow that they didn't murder to eat and then just went walking dead on him and bit their throat out. <laughs> it's like, you have lived your whole life one way and missed the opportunity. <laughs> I think, so basically he does it, a cop shows up. He shoot, fucking knifes him. Oh, the knife thing is gross. That was yeah. is the cop. Sh- then a cop shows up. He kills the cop dressed as it's interesting. So the robes red and it's funny. Because now he's Rocky. I thought it was <laughs> I thought it was going to be one of those. I thought it was going to be just like it ended up meaning something to me at the end. Like I thought it was kind of interesting. Really? With the robe. Like, OK, yeah, there's something about I'm going to write that down. We're going to get to it. There's something there. Um, basically, he shoots the cop, takes the cop, doesn't turn off the cop, the siren. Like, again, it's one of those things where I feel like he's trying to get caught. He's just bored. So he gets all the way back to the freezer. It's weird, too, because I think you're right on that, because this is the least sophisticated way for Mr. Sophistication to be going down. Yeah, He he kills the... So he gets back in, takes the full metal jacket, uh, takes the full metal jacket, bullet out, puts it in the chamber, looks through, he realizes the sight, uh, he's too close. Like, the sight's for a long... It's a hunting mm-hmm. rifle. So yep. there is this other part of the freezer that he's never been able to open since he bought it. So he's not never been able to open this back door to the freezer, so finally he takes, like, a pipe and fulcrums his way in. He gets in there. <laughs> Which is insane that he had never yeah, tried. Never tried to so do So wait, time out. Before we go on to what's in there, right? Because yeah. what's in there is Virgil in a corner. Right. Right. That the the light companion is now made visual. Right. What is that room and the closed door to you? Let's say the pizza boxes are his like urges, his lesser nature. What is that room to you? Uh, to me, I mean, the meat locker is obviously his mind in a way. Right. right? The meat locker is sort of like where he's, yeah, it's where, it's where he's keeping his, it's where he's keeping all the trophies, so to speak. To me, the meat locker is. To me, the meat locker is Jack's. Um, oh God, I just lost my train of thought. Jack's, uh, basically, Jack's. It's uh, Jack's way. Uh, I don't know how to describe it other than saying like it's Jack's way out. It's Jack deciding. It's the extra room that Jack didn't have before that essentially allows him to. It's the creativity that he's locked away. Maybe I, I'm, I'm not sure how to describe it. Like it, I, I tried. Yeah, because I, I tried is, writing this it is down. Where I stumbled too, right? Because to me, the the this is like one of the things. Obviously, it is this room is mind, and when he opens that door, we're left to ask: Are those guys really in that meat locker? Did he already kill those guys with the bullets, and now they're back? Right. Like, are they already dead, and he's losing it? Because he opens the door that. He says he could never open, and it takes him, like, one second to open. So well, there, there's some I, – I wondered if that room um, – I don't know if it's suicide or surrender, right? Yeah. Like, he, he enters an empty room with the man who he will tell his life story to. Right. That that's it, right? This is his – because we hear the cops. They're coming in. They definitely take shots at him at some point. And then the room actually opens into a hole, which leads to hell. Right. I mean, I think it's sur- so I, think I don't it's know surrender. what that room is. To me, it's like giving up. Like, yeah, if I'm using like my Lars von Trayer analogy, like to me, that whole thing, the whole scenario is especially like what he does in the room. 
Um, oh my. We, okay, we kind of just yeah, brushed we, right. We, past we can't. That. We can't. We, we can't brush over like literally the point of the the title of the film. <laughs> the titular artwork within the artwork. Yeah. Yeah. So that the actual house that Jack built, and this goes back. He couldn't ever find the right materials for his house. Right. right? It was like concrete. And again, and we wood. get a lot of these Lars von Trier novelistic. If you use less material and you put the form and it'll do the work and it makes great build, gothic buildings. Oh, boy. It's a great impression. He builds an actual house out of all of the corpses he's killed. Yes. And Virgil says, which I, I'm like, Virgil, maybe you're not a good Clarence for this. Maybe we, maybe you should be in hell. It's a fine little house, Jack. <laughs> it's a fine. Because this is, what's his name? Is it Bruno Maz is the actor? He was. Gans. That ain't. Huh? Gans. Yes. He was the actor who was wandering Paris in Wings of Desire. Yeah. Right, and now you're like, I I don't know if time has been kind to you. You're losing context. It's not a fine little house. No, it's a house made of dead people. This is gross. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're like the pantry is the pantry door is grumpy. Yeah, the pantry That's door. Really bad. The pantry door is grumpy's little smile. No, not a good house at all. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where so to me this last room like I really think this actually I don't think he's made to me this is. Lars von Trayer telling us, like, I'm done making movies for you idiots. Like, I'm not making this for you anymore. This is for me now. So what I'm going to do is build my little house. I'm building my cocoon of the things that I like to do. And if you want to show up, you're going to have to dive really deep in with me. Because what happens when she builds the house is this weird. Okay, to push back a hair. If Jack actually built that house, it is covered in nuts. Just the way serial killer minds work, he would be so proud of himself. Absolutely. Wildly spraying magic all over the room. 100%. Uh, I think Lars is doing that in this movie a lot, too. Sure. I mean, the movie itself, <laughs> it's weird. Like, it's the movie is a metaphor for the house that's the metaphor for. I like, this movie. <laughs> this movie has, like, is, like, inception layered with metaphor. Oh, uh, wait. Okay. I'm going to ask you this on your point. Remember earlier, he not only talked about the houses, but the ruins that are left by buildings. Right. What? How does that play into the house that Jack built? Well, are the is it just human ruins? Right, the destroyed lives and the wreckage he's caused. Well, I think it's that, but I also think because he thinks ruins are beautiful, right? The decay of it, right? But I think I think it's that, but I also think it's it's what all. It's what I mean, it's what we've been talking about this entire time, like serial killer podcasts and shit like that. Like the ruins are the legacy that they leave behind them. Like I'm listening to uh, this show uh, from um, this show called uh, Mo- Monster about Zodiac. And that's yeah. like to me, that's what the ruins really are. The ruins are not like besides like the lives lost, the lives destroyed. That's that sort of thing. It's the legacy of the it's the legacy of the killings themselves, because the ruins that will be left from the house is that these cops are going to show up, come into this fucking huge meat lock and go, oh my God, how did we let this go for fucking... And then just uh, Tommy Boy, new guy's in the corner puking like, his guts up. Oh, oh my God. All <laughs> because well, you want to save a couple of Okay, so things. see, I'll, I'll follow you down that path, right? right? The ruins are what are left of the artwork he's making for the deity. Right. Right? So in a way, he could be telling us that all of his movies are just these kind of rotten ruins right. of this entire creative process. I would agree. But right? I also think that the deity is himself, particularly. I do not. Oh, you think he is the guy? I don't think that there's anything about what he's. I don't think there's anything about what Jack does that's in service to any sort of person other than himself. 
Like, I think that's another reason that the ending ends because the ending, the way the uh, end happens, that's the that's in case this movie wasn't odd enough. We we actually go to hell. <laughs> Literally go to hell. Like it becomes like what's funny is like this movie's like steeped in allegory, and then at the very end of the movie, it's like ah, I'm tired of this. Let's just make it as plain as possible. Like this is like Lars von Trier just shrugging. I, I don't. Also, I don't there's there's a a room in hell that you go through in bubbles. I'm like, what is this Wonka's chocolate factory? That okay. looks delightful. I, I wrote down like delicious. I wrote down in my notes I'm like, oh cool, Sega Genesis game. I didn't know we were gonna get to play any games during this. Dope, Echo the Dolphin. Yeah, that's room. exactly Hell. what I thought. I was like, "Are we what? are we playing Echo the Dolphin?" <laughs> when we go like from Echo the Dolphin into I don't know Blair Witch Descent, I guess where they're just like stuck in that little spelunking room. I was like, "What is what is actually happening right now?" In this movie? Yeah. So then we get to this like. So the end is the end is like the most. Oh my bl- god! You know, oh they do have a good line in here though. Amongst this weirdness, where he says, "What is that sound?" And he said that is the collective wails. I think that the agony of so many that you hear it as a buzzing. Right. That one was. I was like, oh man, that's fucking creepy. Well, they get down there. Like, so many people are in agony constantly that we just hear it as a. There's that one like thing. A tone. There's that shot though that they have of him. Them like walk. They're like going. I mean, it's basically them like going through the river sticks. Like. <laughs> The naked man boat? The naked man boat. They're like, <laughs> like, it's like a straight, like, it's like that slow motion melancholia thing, like the opening of the movie. But it's like, the, yeah. but Jack is just slowly walking. And he, again, he's got like this, I really think. Walking the to ro- the side of the boat, by the way. The robe is this, the robe is strange because he keeps the hood on. And this is something that I think is really interesting because like, to me, it almost makes him, like, to me, the robe becomes this like symbol of like almost disciplism like but what are you like what would you be worshiping like oh i'm worshiping myself essentially like i'm worshiping the fact that i feel like i have i feel like i've outgrown this like because i think that has a lot to do with like why he goes to hell because to me it's easy to get it's easy to not get away with it but like what you should be doing is can like if you're showing up to your giant meat locker of dead people with a blaring siren Clearly, you don't give a shit anymore, so you were planning on getting caught anyways. So what's right. in, what's fascinating to me is why and how why the why and how of this movie ending is so weird because it almost feels like it's in direct violation of what was trying to be accomplished in the beginning. Like that's the thing well, that I think is to interesting. me it kind of had this like Red Riding Hood effect where he's just trying to like oh I'm not the big bad wolf right right. Even though, again, that and then that, I immediately was like, we have to strike that because he's just confessed all this horrible <laughs> right, fucking right, shit. Right. So the robe to me was almost. I mean, obviously it has this kind of red color, which is associated with Satan. This and that. I don't know if this was him, like you know. And again, it looked like a boxer robe, like he's ready for a fight, or now he's kind of slipped on his bright red outfit, like for all to see him. Right. Yeah, it it was strange. Um, I'll say this about the man boat. It reminded me of that painting of Washington crossing the the Hudson River or whatever. Delaware. If all or the Delaware, yeah, if all of a sudden we had just fucking broken out into like uncontrollable orgies. It there was one there was one pair of tits though, so there was like one girl in the boat too. Yeah. So it's but I was like it's one of those images I had to pause it because I was like, This feels like one of those trolling moments. Oh yeah. Where Von Trier specifically did this just to send some critics chasing their tail to be like, now explain the boat orgy on the, the Delaware River or whatever the fuck it is. 
Explain that, bitch. I I I posted last night. I posted a picture on my Instagram story. I posted an Instagram story. That was the photo. Fo- that was the photo I took. That was the screenshot I ended up taking when I was like, the things I do for Griffey. Like, cause that <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on in this movie right now? Like, is that was like, I was like, this has got to be towards the end. But why are we doing this? But. Then, I just wondered what ring of hell, like what sin gets you on that boat? What sin gets you on the George Washington boat? <laughs> I, I don't understand what's going on. What happens when those naked men crawl upon the boat? <laughs> what's going on here? No, I actually, the scene that I like from this descent the most is when he's in the, it looks almost like a boiler room. Yeah. And he looks out and sees the, uh, the Elysian fields. Mm-hmm. And he hears the breath of the meadow. And this is the only moment in the movie where we see Jack have an actual emotion. Yes. Right? He ha- he has that little tear as he looks out. And I don't know if this was, because this is one of those kind of concepts of hell, right? Without a heaven, hell can't be what it is, right? If it's only eternal suffering, right? as the Bible would tell us, eventually you kind of are like, yeah, I've been suffering for one billion years, bro. Right. You go ahead and shove whatever you want up my ass. I'll, <laughs> I'll suffer it through today. It's same. Right. But by letting him see that thing that he liked, that place where he could have been, um, that's what hurt him. Yeah. And I was like, that was a fascinating and interesting addition to that moment. Well, and I think that's why the end happens the way it does, because it's the And that's deeper in hell, too. Yeah. Right. I like the idea that the deeper he goes, um, he sees something that actually draws remorse from him. Also, point of order, when Virgil says he's not going to get deposited in the deepest ring of hell... I was like, what the fuck do you have to do? Because he's going to be three rings up from the worst part of hell. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm like, who the fuck is down in that bottom yeah, what, ring? What is the, who? Let's even say the bottom is Lucifer by himself. Yeah, it's like. Who's in those other two rings? Is it like the guy who created group chat? And like, that's got to be it, right? Like, No, Virgil's like, all right, so you get a plus one ring uh, deduction because you killed her and you cut her tits off, but you used them. Use we them. like recycling. Yeah. That's plus one. Well done. Up. If you would throw those tits in the trash, then you're going down all the way. Also, you you gave Grumpy a smile. Very nice of you. That was really sweet. Yeah, you tried to give him pie. I mean, he was dead and he can't digest, but it was cute. It was cute. I liked it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? What do you have to do? My God. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that that struck me. But you killed Uma Thurman. She was causing a lot of ruckus. <laughs> Plus one ring bonus. But this whole thing ends on like such like. The whole thing ends on such a, so basically he gets into this like pit of hell and he sees it's a broken bridge and he asks what the other, uh, basically where the other door leads to. And the verge is like, Oh, that's where that's how to get to heaven. He's like, well, has anybody ever tried to scale the wall to get to heaven? He goes a lot of people, but you know, no one's ever made it. And yeah, like to me, this is like the weirdest choice for a Lars von Trayer movie is like, to me, the Lars von Trayer thing would be like, that's a good point. All right, I'm just going to stay in hell. Like, I don't want to have to put in the work for that. But Jack doesn't. Jack decides, fuck everyone else. I am going to be the one piece of shit down here who makes it to heaven in spite of everything. That makes perfect sense with his ego. Okay, I'll give you that. All right, that makes more sense. Because I wrote down, I'm like, what this I, makes okay, no so sense. Okay, so this is what I took from this moment. Because it, it is a strange way to end this film, yeah. right? Uh and Virgil telling him goodbye, too, happens in this moment. Yeah. The way I saw it is that Von Trier sees himself in a bit of a hell, right? Right. And this is his – every project he undertakes is that kind of climbing on unsure hand and foothold 
over the great abyss of having to deal with all of the audience and critics bullshit. Right. <laughs> right. Savaging something he loves. But if he can get that movie that I guess we appreciate enough for his liking, that's <laughs> sure. the stairway to hell. And he might not have made the movie he's wanted to make yet. And he's willing to forsake and fall down into the hell that is the storytelling process um, on the hopes that someday he'll get there. So that to me was just like, I was like, this is a very spot on symbolism. Because honestly, yeah. what should happen at the end of that movie, you take out the quantum bubble nautics and the fucking uh, dick boat. Right. And you just go straight to, uh, you know, because they have that great scene where they're coming down the ladder and there's all these like wailing, twisting wall of bodies. Right. I'm like, yeah, that's the end. Just show us a couple shots like that. And then, uh, you know, Matt Dillon fucking getting a hot poker shoved up his ding dong. Yeah, that's fine. End of movie. End of movie. That's it. But this is the thing. It's it's a highly unsatisfying ending for Very us, the much. audience, too. Very much. Jack never feels like he gets punished enough. No. And then when he falls down to the darkness, they they actually cut to the photo negative, which is something he said he liked yeah. earlier in the movie, right? That sometimes in the darkness, you can see uh, what is really there in the picture, right. right? Like the light is a sneaky little bitch, and now you've exposed it. Then um, we get yeah, the there's world's something wildly greatest, unsatisfying greatest music cue. World's greatest music <laughs> cue for the movie, which is it. We've gone through hell. This guy falls down yes. to the deepest bowels. The photo negative, and then man, 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 and now we're doing the dream team with Michael Keaton. <laughs> Hit the road. I fucking, <laughs> I fucking started laughing so loudly in my apartment. Like I was like, it, what is yeah. happening? I love that too because it felt like such a fuck you. Yeah. No, that was like the best part because I was like, this is large part. You're like, eh, fuck you guys. I don't give a shit. Also, he has he treated, no movies He treated up. us, the audience, in this moment like we were the cheapest dime store whore. Yeah. And he just did whatever he wanted to us <laughs> for two and a half hours and didn't even throw us a towel. Just left yeah. us there crumpled he literally, trying to figure this he out. He literally did us for two and a half hours just, you lay in it, pig, and just walked out. Like, that's <laughs> that's exactly what it was. I You lay in that mud, pig. <laughs> He has no respect for us. No. What a fucking movie, though, man. Like, holy uh. shit. It's it's bizarre because, one, by the way, we have not done a show like this I, The in a movie while. ended, though, and I really loved it. Yeah. It was wildly unsatisfying ending. There's a lot of those art things that I get you don't like that I kind of dug. Um, it's just hard to sit through, but I found myself really liking it a lot. Yeah. Like, I was so happy I had watched it. It's one of those things where I, I never thought I'd say I'm glad to see this kind of movie, but really having seen it, I, there's no reason no one else should see it. Like if you can't if you can't stomach that kind of stuff, you shouldn't. But like this movie has a lot of decent. This movie has a lot of decent allegory, a lot of fun stuff. And if you like Lars von Trier particularly, this movie is a great movie to watch because this is him. I personally think this is like a sign-off movie. Like, I don't know if he's going to make any more after this. Like, he's like, I'm, I'm done. Oh, he will. He will for sure. This is a great – but the, but if this is the movie he ends on, he literally – I think that's part of the – that's the ending though, right, is that he cannot help himself. Right. Every time he's standing there with Virgil, Virgil's a, you know the muse or an idea right. that he's telling the story to. He knows he's got to make that fucking unwinnable climb where no one will ever fully appreciate his movie the way right. he does. But of course he's going to go, man. He's Jack. He's going to keep going. It's very interesting. It's a really, 
I'm va- I'm fascinated to see. I hope the next movie he makes is a fucking romantic comedy. I think that'd be hilarious. <laughs> that would be the no. Fuck that. I want him to do Ant Man three. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Please give him one of those fucking Marvel movies. Holy shit! Here is an encyclopedia reading of what shrinking means. Now, how do, does the soul shrink or stay the same size as the ant body? Who knows? I am like tiger and you're a lamb, yes? I don't know. What was that accent I was doing? I don't know. It was really good. That though. was kind of like a Werner Harris. Yeah, that was, that was a nice, Way like, less successful uh, cousin. <laughs> Franz Herzog. That was yeah. good. I like Hello, that. I'm Lerner Herzog. I work at gas station down road. Let me tell you about philosophy. I feel like I feel like that is the American that is the that is the American accent version of the rare exports guys. That's what that is. Oh yeah. That's, Maybe. Yeah. How dare I sully this? Okay, here's what I take away, right? I think it is a fascinating examination of serial killers. Yes. I think it's one of the all-time best serial killer movies I've ever seen. It has a couple of the very best serial killer scenes I've ever seen. And Matt Dillon, to me, is like immediately, easily top 10 best screen uh, serial killer I've ever experienced. Yeah. He is so fucking visually arresting in this movie. I I love it. And I think one of the fun things, too, is as it kind of dips between style and the character of Jack seems to change and this and that, it works because of early heavy lifting filmmaking that it will be off-putting to some but pays dividends in the end. Yeah. Um, and also, dude, just when you see the house, when you see the pie, when you see the grumpy thing, you're like, when you see the fucking face sanded off by the road, you're just like, holy fuck. Yeah. Like, this gives you those, like, basic kind of lizard brain things that we often want from horror movies. Um, but, yeah, just we become the third passenger, right? As Virgil's not shocked, I think we all are. Yeah. Um, we're the lamb, and Von Trier is the fucking tiger in this, man. I I, I don't know. I, I found a lot to really dig in this movie. And I totally get, and I think the average person, like probably nine out of ten people, should never watch this movie. <laughs> yes. But I think if you can stomach it, and I don't know, maybe like this is not a movie you would like, but you are a writer, you're a director, you're a creator, right? Yeah. Maybe part of that's what like gives us that little extra armor to get through is that we're we're looking at it as the I have been I have tried to like bash my script's face in with the tire iron. Right. I mean, there's <laughs> I I think I agree. It's a great superficially to me. It's a wonderful movie about. I mean, the wonderful movie is a weird way to put it, but it's a really good serial killer movie. <laughs> like you're right, a fun romp at the a wonderful movie, if I do say so myself. <laughs> no, it was. Um, I think superficially, it's a really cool serial killer movie. Like it's definitely one of the better interpretations of like what that is and how that is. Like, yeah, it's not. It doesn't devolve into serial killer like camp either. Like it keeps it very artistic and very artsy, and I think that appeals to a certain demographic, so to speak. But then on a metaphoric level, like, I love that Lars von Trayer, like, for a guy who's, like, that egotistical, like, who literally, like, will make a movie just to fuck with people, he basically makes a movie explaining, like, his entire career and ends it by going, I'm going to go really deep into this pit of hell and I'm going to come out with a fucking masterpiece. I hope you're all ready for it. Like, that's really how this movie ends. And I... Someday he'll reach that stairwell. He will. And I think it's really interesting, and I think it's again. I agree. Nine out of ten people probably should not see this movie, but if you're that one person who can deal with some pretty fucking horrific imagery, then 
you probably are okay. We actually uh, during the show, I I, I got a I got a notification. We had a comment because uh, we posted on our Instagram like we were talking about the House of Jack Pilton. Uh, one of our one of our follow one of our listeners one of our followers like oh great now I don't have to watch it and she uh, <laughs> I was like <laughs> we're here to serve that's what we do yeah I mean it's come on girl you know you want to watch Jack <laughs> <laughs> it's a really fascinating movie it's it's interesting it's worth watching like I I didn't think I'd end it by saying this is worth watching I think I'd end I would have ended it by going uh, this is a snuff film and I don't think anybody ever needs to watch it but no this is like a really fascinating portrait. It's cool. I, yeah, man. I, I don't know. I don't know. I have one friend I recommended it to. I don't know what that says about him or me. <laughs> you know, if Ren from the Unlucky Ones can watch this movie, like Ren's a dad and like Ren's, you know, Ren, you know. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. <laughs> hey, can you get Ren's family the fuck out of there, dude? Please. <laughs> Ren, we love you, man. I, I gotta say, rarely in a show do I get two fucking cell phone props. That's, yeah, that's, that's very good. I've, I really enjoy it. I like I like pushing our artistic limits. <laughs> I'm very much like Jack hanging on that wall. Like, why don't people understand my fucking cell phone audio show? <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah. If you uh, if you have a strong stomach or you like that kind of thing, a you should go to the doctor. But also, um, you should uh, check out this movie. It's really interesting. I'll watch it with you guys. Come on over. We'll have some pie and we'll watch the house. The Jack built. <laughs> oh my God. I'm never eating pie. again. If you have friends that you think might like this, uh, don't be friends with them. Don't show this <laughs> yeah. to anyone. Don't else. Just, let's keep this between us guys. Let's keep this on the DL. The one time uh, we don't all want to be on government. Watch one list. time on the show. This is the one time on the show. We'll say, you know what? Keep yeah. this to yourself. Don't share this with anyone. I don't know. Can you guys get podcast in your fucking heavily padded cells? If so, share it with whoever, uh, <laughs> Please take the time, guys. Follow us on our socials, as the kids like Grumpy would say. Our socials. We got them all. We like to respond. We like to talk to you guys. We like to know what you think about what we are doing. If you listen to us on a podcast directory that allows you to leave a rating and review, please take a second and do that, guys. It really means the world to us. It'll help us find new alchemists uh, to share. Movies not like this, but the other ones we do with. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, I had a fucking blast. This is one of those movies I watched and I was like, I cannot wait to talk to Alex about it. Mostly because all the fucking old ladies at my office were too busy talking about goddamn bird box. <laughs> you know what's funny? I think it's good that I don't work in a, if I worked with a bunch of old ladies that had seen house that Jack built, I'd be tremendously worried. Yeah, I think you should quit if that was the case. You would. Yeah. There is this one old bitty who really likes to walk up and fucking rub the top of my, uh, like collared shirt Ew. very creepily if i knew she liked this movie yeah quit be careful she might she, there's a good chance you get grumpied if you worked there you know yeah right i'm gonna mentally uma thurman her. <laughs> not physical i don't know what mental uma thurmaning someone looks like imagine that until we talk next time for the film alchemist i'm josh Green. i'm alex dandino peace you bunch of grumpies <laughs> <laughs>